finished your Christmas shopping or do you just make your own? I think gifting homemade with love edibles never goes out of style. Do you give the, and add your gift to fermentation to give to your loved ones? It's a tasty treat and plus the gift of healing all rolled into one. What better Christmas gift could we ask for? The power of giving. Happy gut loving, gifting and munching. Memories just priceless. As you age, you remember for me, I can go way back in time and think of the good times that Christmas was. We'd chill with just such great family and friends. There'd be food on the barbie, because we have Aussie Christmas in summer. There'd be beverages and old tunes. We'd reminisce of the Christmases past. I have great memories of my grandparents. Cutting of the tunnel after the Christmas dinner. The dinner would be roast turkey with apple and nut stuffing, brine potatoes and red sauerkraut. Oh, what a wonderful ritual. The traditional meal was served on Christmas Eve. It was based on the stories, not the turkey, as that came on the first day of Christmas. But herring salad. They'd be made from the herring fillets, beetroot, pickles, onions, apples, potatoes and eggs often be served with fresh bread straight from the oven or just toast. In the ritual of Christmas Eve, the gate of the tunnel after the herring salad was the great event of the evening. The tunnel was made over a couple of days with the sourdough process and fruit was macerated in rum and it had bone marrow added in place of butter. Traditions are those little rituals that we can pass down from generation to generation it helps share family by creating a sense of unity, warmth and closeness. They certainly create memories of peace, love, happiness and security. And I wish that for you and your family. Happy Christmas, happy festive season. Little things done daily add up to big changes. How about starting with one for this week and add another for next week? Plan and prepare. Weekly or fortnightly food plan. Just spare a few hours for food prep. Your week runs so smooth with good food ready to grab and go or sit and relax. Veggies and sauerkraut tonic with every meal. Eliminate one fake food. Slowly introduce kefir if you haven't introduced it already and sauerkraut brine and kvass. Introduce and get to know broth if you have not already. Always feed yourself first. Sit down to eat without distractions. List your routines. Add a new routine of your own and follow your routines. Forgo a coffee a week and build up your bottle collection. A litre Fido jar will be the price of a good coffee and the most used for making sauerkraut, brine vegetables, fermented garlic, the one and a half litres for kvass and sauerkraut tonic, the 500 and 200 ml for fermented ginger and turmeric, the 125 ml for condiments like a fermented relish. Find a place for your creations to bubble away and to store them. Join a community of like-minded. That is where we come in. We will make sure our tribe gets their gut beautiful. Gut Goddess has shared the love of probiotics for decades. I grew up with it. However, peeps after attending many of my workshops often fail to keep up with fermenting. 
our sharing style is easy to follow and foolproof. All you do is follow along with the online video, download the ebooks full of recipes, and each module has a download, step-by-step -step simple process to fermenting, and you're on your way to getting your gut gorgeous. We also have a private group where you can ask questions of your fellow gut-loving students and share your successes. And you will have regular question and answer time with the gut goddess. Because after all, it takes a whole village to make great kimchi. And we always look forward to sharing the good bacteria with everyone. Fermenting for Life is our private Facebook group. And you're welcome to join. Maintaining our health is the foundation upon all else rest. So, let us start with incredible, wondrous, nourishing broth and gut-loving sauerkraut tonic. A survey of late 19th to the early 20th century newspapers and cookbooks confirmed the popularity of homemade beef tea for the general malaise called What Ails You? The gelatine in the broth aids in digestion, a must for anyone with digestive issues. The collagen in broth builds and repairs joints, cartilage, ligaments and tendons, a must for athletes, or anyone, anyone with osteoskeletal issues and sporting injuries. The collagen in broth is kind of rejuvenating youth serum, making your skin glow and look years younger. Therefore, I like to say that broth and sauerkraut brine is my Botox. Broth makes everything more flavoursome, from smoothies to casseroles to soups to jellies and sauces. Just use the broth as the foundation of your meals. Use it in place of vegetable cooking water. Poach your eggs as a base for miso soup and sauces. For non-meat eaters, replace with a veggie broth. It's a great way to use all the veggie scraps. Just freeze them all in a bag and on planning day, cook up a batch of broth. The gut goddess tip is do not heat your sauerkraut brine or it'll kill the good beasties. So eliminate one fake food. Okay, now things start to get a bit tougher. You'll need a bit of resolve on this one, so choosing a good day is the deal. One where things are relatively calm and peaceful. One where you have time to think. Most people jump to this step first, I think, and then they pick the thing they are most attached to, eating as the first thing to eliminate. Then they quickly purge the pantry. Discarding so much, is not, there's nothing left to eat. This makes things so much harder than they must be, stressing yourself and family out in the process. Instead, think about one food you buy on a regular basis that you know to be a bad choice. Make that food something nobody is attached to, if possible. This is a good candidate for quick removal. Do this. Step into the kitchen and look in the pantry and refrigerator. Pick out a likely prospect and ask yourself, is anyone in this house attached to having this? Ask, can this be replaced with something I can get or make now? Or can we just simply do without it altogether? If it doesn't bring joy, dispose it. If there is no obligation to consume this fake food item, just dispose it. Gut goddess gives you permission. If the answer is that you have a good replacement in mind, plan to get the replacement ready this week. Then dispose the item when you have it. That is it. 
Add this to your routine and over time you will make it through the whole kitchen. Working from the easy to eliminate to the much harder items that family members are much attached to. Remember, just do one each week. Ask, what can I improve in 15 minutes? This step is all about thinking, just simply thinking, no actual doing involved. Every day pose this question to yourself. How can I improve our diet today in just 15 minutes? No commitment to do any of the things you think up is required. Just think up one or two that you believe you could realistically do in about 15 minutes. Things like finding a healthy version of a favourite recipe or researching sources for Fido bottles and local in-season organic vegetable delivery. Like clearing your counters or pre-preparing snacks. Jot down your ideas somewhere where you will see them often or use an app. You can do any of them whenever you are good and ready or do none of them at all. All we are committing is to thinking about them. Do commit to thinking up one each day. Just thinking about it will get the wheels turning in the right direction. You will find you are scarcely able to restrain yourself from doing them all right away. If this week is a calm one, pick one or two to do, but no more. The idea is to make a habit of thinking of the things that need to be done in small chunks rather than large projects. Small chunks that can be done today and move you towards larger goals. Do this. Make a reminder for yourself to think up ideas for improvement every day. Remember this is a to-do list. It is an ideas of things I might do someday maybe list. Pause for a minute and consider all that you have accomplished so far and give yourself a well-deserved pat on the back. Now list your routines. Now we have established new routines, congratulations. It is important that we write down routines somewhere so we can review them. Review them so we remember, and more importantly, review them to make sure we are not planning more to do in a day than we can reasonably hope to get done. Every time we have several routines laid out that we find we cannot keep up with, it's like a kick in the gut. It is completely deflating and demotivating. We end up depressed and a tad hopeless. Our routines begin to fall apart. It is vitally important that we do not overschedule. Right now, this is straightforward. Do this. Decide when you want to keep your list. Where you want to keep your list. Do you have a tool you use right now to remember? Appointments or where you keep a to-do list? If so, expand it to include your routines. Note your current routines in your selected tool. Jot down your new weekly and daily routines. Then note an estimate of how long they take. Think about how much time you have each day for the routines on your list. Review your list to make sure that your routines only take up a portion of your available time and not the whole thing. When you first start this list, you'll be well under your time budget. As you add routines though, it will get tougher to keep this list to a portion of your available time. Make every effort to keep it small by being as efficient as possible. It is vitally important to take care of you and a big part of this is not overdoing it. Practice this for one week before moving on and then follow your routines. With our routines written down and easy to find, we just need to follow them. Easier said than done, eh? We will want to plan to look over our routines weekly to help keep them fresh in mind. We can also make needed adjustments 
most easily after looking at all our tasks. Do this. Plan a time each week when things are on the calm side and you have a little room to think. Just 10 or 15 minutes should do it. Add this to your routines list. Review your routine list noting what is working for you and what is not. Consider what adjustments you could make for things to flow more smoothly. Consider any new ideas or any suggestions you might have come across in the prior week and how they might help with your routine, with your current routine. Remember, in the last step when we were making our routine list, we considered how much time we have each day for the routines on our list. You will want to do this weekly to make sure that anything new added to your list or your schedule in general will not put you over the amount of time available. If it does, scale back your expectations for that week. Next, we have our final step. It is perhaps the most important of all. Join a community of the like-minded. For many, God has started the Gut Academy in a mind of putting deep love, gratitude, positive intentions and the best of vegetables one can find in a jar. This was my calling to heal the people I love, my friends and family. The friendships we have formed over the years are as mighty as the invisible organisms, the microbes. Thank you for loving what we do and thank you for all the support. But changing your diet can be stressful. Of course, not changing your diet is even more stressful in the long run. We all need help and support when we begin something new. Reaching out to the real food community is the best way to get the support you need. Let us face it. Some of your friends and family probably do not understand why you are so excited by tasty, authentic and responsibly made food. They do not get why you would want to put yourself to this much trouble. They are worried that, you, that you're putting yourself at risk or further illness by adopting this new found way of eating. Everyone in the real food community has been where you are at now. We have all had lots of questions, had to learn new ways to feed ourselves and been criticised for our choice. I think we have all felt a bit isolated at times. Reaching out to the real food community both online and in person is a great remedy for whatever troubles you during this transition. Unsure of whether your ferment is good, just need a laugh. You will find that here too. Just look at the gut goddess when the borrowed food processor went off in, the, in our online course. Take one step at a time. It can be very overwhelming to be sick with so many symptoms and diseases and face the amount of information that you need to learn to get healthy. Therefore, it is very important that you approach your healing one step at a time. Not only is it easier on you, but it also will not overwhelm and confuse your body, causing more healing and detoxifying reactions and symptoms that are that, that they're not necessary. Your body needs time to adjust each change at its own pace and as it sees fit. Just believe in your body's marvellous healing capabilities. There is no point pushing your body since it will not get you healthier any faster. It will still take around a month of natural healing for every year you have been unhealthy. But with small steps, you will start to feel and look better. Adding fermentation will help with cravings. By having good food ready, you will feel better immediately. While diet has one of the most profound impacts upon our health, there are other important lifestyle factors that equally impact our well-being, like adequate sleep, play, connection with others, 
time spent in the sunshine and outdoors generally, our mental thoughts, our ability to cope with and manage stress, the amount and way we exercise and how and what we breathe. Pushing your body too hard or overtreating it by doing too many things at one time interferes with your progress, creating more unnecessary symptoms and reactions. So it's best not to change too many things at one time. Instead, make changes gradually so your body has time to adjust itself accordingly. Best not to take supplements that are not recommended. It's best not to take supplements in lower or higher doses than recommended, which can throw off nutrient balances. Best not to do harsh and unnecessary treatments such as cleanses and fasting. The body will slow or stop the healing processes if it becomes overwhelmed or confused by treatments. That is, too many different kinds at one time. Treatments continued over long periods of time, too high of an amount, treatments that are too harsh or invasive, etc. Even if such treatments are natural herbs, vitamins, minerals, etc. Do not over-exercise or do treatments that cause you to sweat too much. That is, like saunas, hot baths, steam rooms, etc. Since they mobilise toxins and cause more detoxifying symptoms than are necessary. Treatments should not interfere with nutrients and the body's natural healing and detoxifying processes, which include acupuncture or acupressure, chiropractic treatments, baths that are not too hot, reflexology, sun exposure, and things like dry skin brushing, just mild forms of exercise, massages, and deep breathing exercises. Breathing is so important. So to do, A. Prioritise at least eight hours of sleep per night. B. Walking, gardening, yoga and meditation. Practice at an intensity and for lengths of time that suits and how you are feeling. Incorporate more play into your life. Two steps towards health. Eliminate damaging foods, sugars and high carb foods and toxins. Build up your health with real food and probiotic rich food in moderation. It is important to make changes slowly. Your body needs time to adjust to each change. Trying to change too much at once will only make you sicker, causing more healing and detoxifying symptoms than are necessary, which will overwhelm you and your body. Most people should be able to get completely well on this program within two to three months, but others may have to take a lot longer. Some very sick people and older people with debilitating diseases may need to take up to one year to get completely well. In the meantime, all the nutrients you are getting are still helping you progress towards health. Always start with small doses of fermented foods and beverages. Same with coconut oil. That is one teaspoon three times a day or less. Some people must start with a quarter of a teaspoon three times a day and gradually increase it so your healing and detoxifying symptoms are not too severe. Slowly increase until you can take oh, what, 5 to 0.5 tablespoons a day, split between three meals per day. Sugars and high-carb foods. Start eliminating them and at the same time start to increase your good fats. That is like organic butter, coconut oil and extra virgin olive oil and protein if your intake was quite low. Do not increase proteins more than you increase good fats. Try to keep a balance of 20% protein to 60% fat, according to calories, 
until you can get your fats up high enough. Be careful with commercial oils, nut and seed butters such as tahini. The oils can become rancid very easily and even if they are cold pressed, can coat the stomach and intestines, thereby hindering the digestion and absorption of nutrients. Best to avoid overeating concentrates like nuts, seeds and dried fruits. Soaking your dried fruits and nuts considerably improves the vitality, taste and digestibility of this otherwise concentrated food. In our kitchen, we soak and dry all our dried fruit to help reduce the sugar levels. We submerge organic dried fruit in filtered water or mainly water kefir and leave overnight. If your protein intake was high, you might need to lower it temporarily until you can increase your fats enough. If you do not consume enough fats in ratio to proteins, it will cause constipation. It is more important to get your fat ratios up to the recommended levels than to increase protein too fast or lower your carbs too quickly. Maintaining a correct ratio of fats to proteins will become more important as you lower your carbs. Also start eliminating unnatural vegetable oils and fats, except your extra virgin olive oil. Continue eliminating sugars and work on eliminating high carb foods. Since it is more difficult to increase fats than proteins, concentrate on increasing good fats. But remember, balance is key. The key word in food is balance, a concept you have heard often enough and you don't require me to preach. There is a school of thought that some phytic acid in the diet is a good thing and precisely for its chelating properties. Diets high in cereal and lentil content like the Asian, particularly the Indian diet, if untreated by soaking and or fermentation, can be harmfully high in phytic acid content because the human body does not generate the phytase enzyme which eliminates excess phytic acid. Consuming foods with phytate such as grain with vitamin C has shown to cancel some of the negative effects and its ability to limit our body's iron intake. So when chomping grain, it is a good idea to eat some vitamin C rich veggies and fruits along with grains such as grapefruit, kiwi fruit, mangoes, strawberries, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, kale, capsicum. Also use best quality vinegar in dressings and cooking enhances mineral absorption and offsets the phytates as well. And of course, always team up with the gift of fermentation, your sauerkraut, kimchi, etc. Food is life. Wheat today is different than it was a hundred plus years ago. Until the 1870s, wheat production consisted of soft wheat varieties. A hard spring head variety originally from Central Europe with a higher protein content, aka gluten, was introduced in the mid-1800s. The flour made from the higher gluten wheat resulted in fluffier bread and flakier baked goods. The demand for the new flour grew, but it was not so easy to get at first. Although some early types of wheat may have grown as far back as 9000 BC, people did not eat much of it being difficult to eat in the raw form. And even when they figured out how to crack, open, grind, sift, soak and ferment and to cook with it, these processes were laborious because they had primitive tools. Whole grains also went rancid quickly because of the high oil content in the bran. Today, our wheat crops have been through some serious genetic manipulation to make profitable for the food industry and less healthy for us. Ah, speed and greed. 
Most commercially available breads contain one or many genetically modified ingredients like soy lecithin, soybean oil, corn oil, cornstarch or soy flour. So to break bread or not, as with anything, use common sense and make your decision based on personal results and not what an expert tells you what to do. First, we have drastically changed the way we grow and prepare our food. In the case of grain, there was a way of treating so it was converted to something our body could use. In the case of corn, it was nixtamalized. In wheat, it went through slow fermentation over several days. It seems to be the unique property of certain lactic acid bacteria that given time, they can knock out some otherwise impervious elements that make wheat unpalatable for so many people. Modern processes do not allow this to happen, leaving the allergens in place. Subtract all the additives that confuse the matter and much less likely the body will treat this as a foreign substance and react to it. However, if you think you react poorly to grains, then try eliminating from your diet and see what happens. If you feel better, then do not eat them. In our kitchen, we are somewhere in the middle. We keep grains to a minimum and make sure they are organic and well prepared. The main problem with wheat is that we as a culture eat too much of it in general. It is significant that factory made bread has extra gluten added and the Western diet today is awash with gluten containing wheat. And of course the wheat that is used to make most bread is heavily sprayed with pesticides and by choosing certified organic products, you will avoid exposure to GMOs. In our kitchen, our food choices are around balance and choosing the most nutritious choices. But we do love to live a little and break quality bread on occasion. So you could try your sourdough bread daily, to every second day, to once a week, to fortnightly, to monthly, to once in a blue moon. But, you know, gluten-free, grain-free, sugar-free, there's everything free. The stress we can put oneself under trying to eliminate 100% gluten and grains from the diet would likely more than offset any minor benefit we would get from it, unless we have an intolerance or an allergy. Whether the reason be from weakened systems due to decades of abusive eating habits or from polluted environments, or just for the fact that variety is the spice of life, Alternative food sources can be explored with some caution. So avoid the gluten-free oil, just like health claims such as low-fat, organic, gluten-free can be used on foods to create what is known in marketing psychology as a health halo, where health claims on packaging encourage people to perceive a product as being healthier or better than other similar products. The gluten-free products appeal to consumers who often perceive gluten-free as being in the same space as healthier foods, and manufacturers are creating products that pander to this perception. Most contain highly processed grains, with the gluten-free flour containing tapioca, potato, and maize starches, tending to have a higher GI and do not offer any health benefits for healing of gut issues. So the bottom line, if it comes in a box or package, read all the ingredients carefully even if it has certified organic stamped all over it. Aim to avoid refined sugars and flours of all types, not just wheat. It is of little use exchanging one processed food or flour for another or one sugar for another in excess. Many people today take in more calories from all types of foods 
than people in the recent past, and this excess has not been balanced by an increase in physical activity. A lot of our kiddos today are hyperactive, with blood sugar metabolism has gone half bananas. When they get hyper, mum tries to calm the tantrum by giving treats, with loaded in sugar. They will still flip out with too much organic dried fruit or coconut sugar sweetened cacao brownies. Sugar Blues by William Dufty was a classic book of the mid-1970s. In a compelling informal fashion, the book provides a broad historical and political sketch of sugar economics from the 15th century. Dufty offers layer upon layer of proof that modern mankind is degenerating, devolving as a race, becoming sicker and weaker decade by decade. Certainly nothing since Sugar Blues came out can dispute that idea. The ordinary cane sugar often used in baking, tea and coffee and our fermented bevies is made up of half glucose and half fructose. Glucose is in many foods and is the good food, the good sugar that our body requires to make and store energy. It is the glucose we crave when we want, need a sugar fix and our bodies recognise it and use up every calorie. Fructose is the interloper. That is not to say all fructose is bad. If you eat it in the form of a piece of fruit, then you will be fine, thanks to the fibre in the fruit, helping your body digest the fructose. It is when fructose is not in its natural form that you will have a problem. Even if you do a simple thing like blitzing banana to make a smoothie or juicing apples, then we break down the fibre before consuming. Without its fibre bond, the body cannot recognise the fructose, so it does not provide an insulin response. It moves to the liver unaided to form fatty acids swimming around the body until they are deposited as body fat. Because the body has not recognised the fructose, you might as well have not eaten it in the first place. The body will still crave the glucose it wanted in the first place and will insist you try and get yourself more. So instead of just having one glass of apple juice or another chocolate bar, you will crave another, then another. If you stick to just the glucose in the first place, you're giving your body what it needs and you should feel fully satiated. So basically, fructose when not found in whole fruit is not a good thing to be chomping on. Remember that many of the sugars we consider as natural and healthy like honey or maple syrup are also just fructose. So it has the same effect within the body. There is, that is also not to mention the obvious fake sugars out there like nasty sweeteners and corn syrup, because they are just fructose. They have ridden the coattails of the glycemic in index without revealing the truth about what high levels of fructose does to the liver and body in relation to your LDL contributing to insulin sensitivity. There's also a rise in dense LDL particles and oxidised LDL, which is low-density lipoprotein. Think of it like sand in the ocean. The finer particles the LDL, settle underneath the coarser sand, the HDL above. The larger particles is in motion at the top, while the finer forms a sticky muck underneath. This is how cholesterol essentially works, where it forms plaque on our arteries. In short, fructose impairs glucose-induced hepatic triglyceride synthesis. Agave, in fact, might be the worst offender and extremely unhealthy. You decide, but stay away from agave for your own health. 
Maple sugar or syrup contains 65% sucrose content. In the commercial world, sugar is added to low-fat products, fruit-flavoured yogurt, cereals, sushi, salad dressings, tomato sauce, baked beans, and many health foods. So do we replace one flour or sugar with another? Anytime you eat too much of one specific food, especially if that food is rich in protein, you may increase your risk of eventually becoming intolerant to that food. Think tahini, almonds, and several other protein-dense foods. Many people mistakenly think almond flour does not contain the anti-nutrients because the skin has been removed. While the almond skin does contain most of the anti-nutrients, blanched almonds still contain anti-nutrients, making it difficult to digest and block mineral absorption. If you try to sprout blanched almonds, they won't sprout. The enzyme inhibitors that cause digestive upsets and harm are still present prior to soaking. Almonds can, can become problematic when we eat them in excess or heat them, and both are easily done by consuming almond flour baked goods. So depending on your dietary needs, eat a variety of foods and treat baked sweet goodies as gifts for occasional assumption and not as a daily staple. Be creative and replace sweet treats with more savoury snacks. Keep your celebration foods as an occasional occurrence. But you can really tame your sweet tooth by adding fermentation to your daily food. Replace your sugar with natural sweeteners in moderation, such as raw local honey, grade B maple syrup, pure maple syrup, sugar, molasses, dehydrated coconut nectar, coconut palm sugar, green powder, stevia, rapidura. Honey can be a healthy sweetener if used appropriately in small quantities, but not just any old honey. Raw, unprocessed honey, humankind's oldest sweetener. Raw organic honey is the closest you will get to eating honey straight from the hive. Thousands of years before white sugar was even invented, people used honey both for food and to support a wide range of body functions. Although honey has many important benefits, it still contains a lot of fructose, so you need to use it cautiously. If you are gut healing, it would be best to aim to limit your use of raw honey to less than one teaspoon per day. So what do you replace your sugar with in your celebration treats? Well, you could use fresh berries like raspberries, blackberries, strawberries, blueberries, cranberries, etc. Citrus, like your limes, your lemons, lemonade or orange or grapefruit. Fresh cherries, banana. Non-sweet fruits like capsicum, tomato, cucumber, okra, avocado. That's a beauty in your treats, especially your raw treats. Fresh corn, beetroot and zucchini, and they team well with cacao sauerkraut treats. Rhubarb, edible flowers and blossoms like your mallow, your borage, fuchsia, hibiscus, jasmine and zucchini and pumpkin blossoms. For better or for worse, our bodies are not designed to eat large amounts of sweet food. In fact, our hunter-gatherer genes are designed to eat about as much sweet foods as we do grains of pepper today, next to nothing. But sugar, well, it's just there in society today. And this mismatch between our genes and our environment is one of the reasons for the unprecedented rise of chronic illness and degenerative diseases. Constant education, reinforcement and leading by example all play key roles, but one does not want to raise psychological strong but emotionally resentful kids. So the way to deal with this issue is to make and offer a steady stream of homemade nutritious sweets, cakes and desserts 
by replacing all the nasty ingredients with nutrient-dense ones. So gradually over time, the focus will become on getting back to the basics and cutting out some of the unnecessary extras. When bullies are so full of broth and pastured meats and veggies, fermentation, dairy and eggs, there's no room for anything else. So one, focused energy on where it is most beneficial, a solid, nutrient-dense, savoury diet, and nailing that first. B, reserving homemade sweets and desserts for occasional consumption and not as a daily staple. C, being more creative in offering savoury rather than sweet snacks like coconut yogurt, activated nuts, various homemade or local and imported cheeses, your nori sheets rolls, your cucumber rounds with the kefir, cream cheese or filled with sauerkraut, hard-boiled eggs. They're beauties to have on hand in your fridge with homemade mayo or paprika, a dip and guacamole, etc. Remember the ancients only used sugar in medicines. The ancient wisdom said that Stone Age people date back to when their human characteristics such as bigger brains, different jaws, that's what emerged while still living in the Stone Age, they had developed into what we call modern humans. There are different theories about how and where modern humans emerged. Of course, our dinner plates are very different today as nearly every food item we eat has been modified from its ancestral form, typically in a drastic way. Most of the Western food has been available to our gene pool for less than five centuries. Tomatoes, pumpkin, potatoes, avocado, pecans, cashews and blueberries are all New World crops and have only been on the dinner table of African and Eurasian populations for probably 10 generations of their evolutionary history. Europeans have been eating grain for the last 10,000 years. We have been eating sweet potatoes for less than 500, yet the human body has seemingly adapted perfectly well to the yams. At least once a week, the fragrance of bread baking filled my grandma's home. Farm animals could roam and develop without man's interference. Sacks and barrels, barrels at the general store were filled with unrefined and unprocessed ingredients that had really a short shelf life, no labels, and lots of flavour. Food prepared a few hours per week would be set aside to plan for the week ahead. Soaking, sprouting and fermenting for the first time may seem intimidating and time-consuming, but after a couple of times you develop your own rhythm for the process. It is easy to soak before you go to bed or before you go to work. If you enjoy bread, the sage advice from my grandma is to eat the best varieties available to you in moderation and be filled with peace and compassion as you eat it. Grandma's day may be gone forever. However, it is easy to recapture the goodness and real flavour of the old-time style of eating. Gut-loving fermentation called for basic, fresh, unrefined and non-highly processed ingredients. Go out of your way to get the best quality food you can because you deserve it. Eat foods you grow yourself, whether this is 80% of your total diet or 5%. If we grow our own food, food as free as toxic pollutants as possible, we know quality because we play a crucial role in determining it. Growing our own food allows us to develop a more intimate relationship with food, experiencing the life process from beginning to end. Starting and maintaining your own garden is very easy. Growing and making our own food is very enjoyable and becomes quite addictive. You always want to grow better and healthier food each season. Always something to learn from and share with others. 
There are also thousands of different edible plants and trees you can try growing and fermenting, as well as chickens, bees, and foraging to consider. For most of human society, the sharing of food was a significant social act, cementing ties between friends and kin, showing welcome to strangers. Today, it has become an anonymous act of commerce. People in past times would no doubt have thought it exceedingly strange, if not downright obscene, for total strangers to grow, process and even cook nearly all one's food. Seasonal food harvested from nature, it has no pretense. The mindset of the preparer is the most important. There is a Korean saying, everything depends on mind. In other words, if food is prepared with an evil heart, even a great feast turns into poison. But if gratitude is offered to the food with a joyful and happy heart, the food becomes a blessing. So, you have made it! Congratulations! Keep up the good work.